Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with your friends, your family, your network, and go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to give a rating or review. It will help us get more listeners to the show. Thank you very much. Previous guests on the show have included Kevin King, Ted Esler, and Sarah Brule, but today's guest is Brian Russell. Brian is a professor of biblical studies and a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually minded individuals. His latest book is called Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. We have a conversation about his story from brokenness to wholeness through silence and solitude with Jesus. We talk through Centering Prayer and talk through how that can prepare us for mission. Enjoy the conversation. Here's Brian. Well, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you. So thank you for coming on. You're welcome, Joshua, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, you just wrote a book on Centering Prayer. Um, and So what was your story to get to that practice and saying, hey, I would love to expound on this and help others enter into this practice? Yeah, well, thank you. And yeah, it's it's really a story of transformation. And I wrote the book essentially reflecting on uh, some of the deep work that God did in my life over basically a decade. And it was me looking back and I started just recording it's almost like a journal, but I was doing it online yeah. and I ended up doing like 50,000 words. And then I'm like, wow, I think I have a book here. But I mean, the, the story behind the story, though, is uh, I went through a, a, just a significant uh, a really crisis in my early 40s. Uh, I'd been uh, a pastor. Oh, I still am a pastor. I'm a seminary yeah. professor. I was uh, all into uh, missional uh, hermeneutics. I'd even planted a church back in the early uh, 2000s. And right in the middle of all that, um, my my twenty year pr- prior previous twenty year marriage just I mean flat out mm. ended. Um, wow. And I don't go into the details, but my wife did not want to be married to me yeah. anymore and left. And I end up being a single father, wondering if I'm going to lose my ministry, wonder mm. if I'm the seminary is going to keep me around. You know, just all these yeah. um, really scary p- things and. It, it, and at that point in my life, I mean, you know, I'd counseled people through divorces. I was at the time I was even working with my neighbor across the street, helping him. And then literally it's on me. And that sent me through just a, uh, a, a just a devastating crisis of my own faith. I didn't yeah. feel anything. It just kind of turned everything turned off on the inside. 
I was almost inconsolable. You know, I knew all the Bible passages already, so I wasn't getting comfort from scripture, which is sad to say, but it was true for me. My pastor friends, I mean, I already knew what they were going to say to me because I knew what I would have said to somebody else. It just, I I couldn't take my own medicine. And, um, And then in the midst of that, I just had a really powerful experience in silence and solitude in kind of like I like that I've been saying is um, I, I put, I, I, I discovered silence or better the silence discovered me. And in the midst of silence, I rediscovered the God who loves me. And wow. again, it wasn't like instantly things fixed. I mean, I had oh, to yeah. raise my, raise my daughters. I had to work, do a lot of work on myself, but essentially I started doing centering prayer and some intentional like prayer of examine style journaling yep. And these two silent solitude practices um, serve to break open my inner life so that, you know, looking back now, and again, this was a looking back type of a thing, um, you know, I I don't think I would have grown as deeply in the Lord as I have. Again, I think I could have got it a different way, but these practices literally just changed my life and, uh, um, you know, looking back now, I can basically be in a place of, of gratitude. And I wanted to write yeah. a book to help other people um, interested in these, in centering prayer specifically to get through some of the common blocks that you run into if you embrace this practice consistently. Cause it's, you know, it sounds all great. Like even my, the, you know, the publisher put the sitting quietly in God's presence can change your life, uh, which is a great title, but <laughs> yeah. it's like, this isn't a quick fix. And there's um, challenges that you run into when you put yourself in silence as all Christians who've ever done that would, would testify to. Yeah. Well, you know, when we have a crisis, like you had a crisis there and we're broken, there's, you know, a couple things that happen. One is we try to fix it ourselves, right? As as a man, I that would yeah. be my first go-to. It's like something is broken. I need to run and fix it. I'm gonna go get the duct tape, the super glue, do something. Um, but it seems like silence and solitude is the opposite of you proactively trying to fix something. It's humbly submitting to God Himself and His presence. What was that for you? And how did you get to that place where it wasn't you trying to fix it, but it was you entering into the silence? Yeah, it it it, it was um and I am I'm a take action person. You know, I'm the guy that they you know they always say if you want something done, give it to a busy person. That was me. Yeah. I've always been good at goals and stuff. And um I couldn't fix what I was feeling on the inside. And, you know, even in my book, I talked, tell a story. One of my friends one day was just saying, Brian, it sounds like you're going crazy. You're losing your mind. I guess I was talking faster than I am now. And, and so I kind of just had this breaking point and I knew that, um, you know, I needed um, God um, even, you know, that's, it's always easy. It's not like that was a new insight for me, but I knew that this, I wasn't going to get out of this. And, And then I also had a couple of other, I had these two mindsets that I think helped me with all this too. It's like, I knew somehow, and I'm so grateful, this is probably my mentors and even the fact that I'd been a Christian for a long time up until this crisis moment, I just knew that if I could hang on, um, 
God could use this to grow me. And, and again, I wasn't anticipating that being fast. I might not have thought it was going to take 10 years either, but, <laughs> but, but I, but I just kind of had this confidence and I knew on the other side of everything, I wanted to be a better man, not a bitter man. Cause I'd mm. seen people go through right. tough divorces and stuff. And then they're just kind of grumpy, um, you know, or just, there's just like a cynicism yeah. that can come over us or even, like I didn't want to be cynical even towards women. Cause I mean, if I'm going to be a right. pastor, I have to, that's half the population and stuff. And so I wanted to be a better man. And then the other thing that really helped me with, with the silence of being is I just decided, cause, cause I noticed everybody was giving me lots of sympathy. Cause you know, on paper, I got a biblical divorce. Right. And right. so that there was, uh, but I laughed to myself and thought, well, I can't imagine an unbiblical divorce feeling any worse than I feel anyway. And so I decided, okay, you know, I'm not getting pushed out of the seminary because, you know, I had, you know, accountability groups and all these kind of things. But what, but what I needed to do, if I was going to come out of this and be this better man, it's like, I don't need people's pity or saying, oh, poor Brian. I decided I was going to take 100% responsibility for my failed marriage on myself. Now, yeah. again, that's not true, but I wasn't going to be a victim or even, I was right. just going to say, okay, I'm going to take full responsibility, which means hmm. I had this, I prayed to God early on. And I mean, this is kind of a terrifying prayer in retrospect. I, I prayed, Lord, bring all the darkness out of me into your light so I can be healed hmm. by your grace. And, you know, yeah. and so Wow. <laughs> you know, you said, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I had no idea what I was asking for either, yeah, but, um, exactly. um, but you know, silence and solitude practices are ways that God can bring all the stuff out. It's mm -hmm. got other, it's not just that, but, um, when you sit in silence, you get confronted with the truth about yourself, right. both the beautiful things and the, you know, the shadowy parts that you'd prefer you didn't even know about. Yeah. So um, let's get into what is centering prayer itself um, so yeah. we know what we're talking about when we're talking about these things. Yeah, and centering prayer, I would call it like a vehicle because what a lot of people talk about is contemplative prayer yeah. and centering prayer can lead into that. And, and contemplative prayer are those moments where in a sense, you almost, it's almost like encountering God as pure God apart from words and images and, and, and things. And it's a, a profound and... Um, and centering prayer doesn't guarantee that you move into those spaces. And I'm not even going to get on your podcast and say that, that I've experienced that hundreds and hundreds of times. Cause I have, and just a few yeah. times I've really felt like I was in deep contemplation with God, but what centering prayer is, it's a, um, a technique where it's, it was, it's, it's the name centering prayer just goes back to around 1970. Um, some, um, monks in the Trappist tradition, this would be where like Thomas Merton's, mm -hmm. um, his order. And then there was a, another Trappist monk named Thomas Keating. They were watching in this case, Roman Catholics going and learning transcendental meditation. And they're mm -hmm. like, wait a second, we have this long Christian, deep spiritual prayer tradition yeah. that we do in the monastery. Is there a way that we can teach anybody how to do what we do since they are always in silence. And so they yeah. came up with what's called centering prayer, which is just a simple method of, you know, you, I can just, it's, it's real, it's, here's, yeah. it's simple to explain, but yeah, then you just right. got to do it and, and live <laughs> through it. It's essentially, you just take a block of time. They usually suggest 20 minutes. There's nothing magical about that, but if um, you could start with five minutes or even one minute, but it's essentially you just sit in a comfortable place, you close your eyes and 
you know, I like to say, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the mm-hmm. Jesus prayer just as a way. And then I, you just sit there and you're praying in the goal, the prayer time is you're not using words or images like we usually use when we do our verbal prayers or yeah. even our silent prayers, but we're just sitting before God and saying, I'm going to surrender even my thoughts so that I can just be in your presence. And so what you do then is you have a prayer word or a sacred word. I recommend as Christians, we just use Jesus. Um, Other people use God or surrender, but I like Jesus because that's who I'm praying to. So when I realize that I'm thinking or seeing something, which will be, and this is so important if no one's ever done it, it's going to be almost all the time because this isn't about being mindless. But when you realize that you're paying attention to a thought and it's not just passing through your head, you just sort of use your prayer word. It's kind of like a windshield wiper. It just kind of gives you a little space. And that's the practice. You just do that over and over again. And it's uh, it's, uh, our intention is to sit in silence with God and surrender even our most beautiful thoughts, let alone yeah. sometimes troubling thoughts, or I wonder if I started my watch or whatever, right. but you just surrender that to God. And, and that's the whole process. And you do that. I do that for 20 minutes every day mm. in the morning, usually. And, you know, sometimes I'll do a, another session or I'll do small blocks to kind of break up my day, but that that's what centering prayer is. Mm. It's a silent meditative prayer is another way to think about it. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, the Trappist monks were bringing that in and they were they were really looking at the difference between what they were doing and then transcendental meditation and what Eastern religions and New Age thought is doing. What is that difference between those two meditative processes? Yeah, thank you. And that's that's such an important question, because that's what I like for myself, the church I would have grown up, they would have thought I was turning into some new age person if I would have told them what I was doing. So in the word meditation does um, sometimes does bother Christians, because like you said, we associate it with other religions. The the key difference is this, uh, you know, some of the techniques, um, like if people know, like, mindfulness-based meditation, which is a Buddhist practice. It's similar, except there's a key distinction though. And this is, uh, is, is going to be, is, is the key thing that you're getting at. Um, all most Eastern forms of meditation, you're essentially peering to the inside mm-hmm. of yourself and your goal, like as a Buddhist is to realize that you don't even exist. Essentially it's right. this experience of no self. This is the completely different as a Christian. We, we know that there's a God who is there, who's the creator of the whole universe. And so our intention, the purpose of centering prayer isn't to empty ourselves. It's right. to open ourselves mm. to the God who is there to be in communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. So it's all about the intention. And so it isn't just about right. navel gazing, though that, you know, you will be confronted right. with yourself doing it, but it's to be with the God who loves us, who created mm. us, who died for us. So it, you know, if I'm just emptying myself, I actually don't get to know God's thoughts about me. I don't get to sit with him as he, as I say, here, come fill me with your presence, yeah. with uh, who you are. And so as we're, we're walking through this, you know, what does it look like in your experience, 10 years of change, transformation, to get from a place of, of really crisis and brokenness and get to a place of, of health 
and knowing that it's actually going to bring me to a place where I recognize the presence of, of God more and I recognize the presence of God more in other people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things too. I know that your work is very all about mission and one of the most powerful things that, that, that I think centering prayer kind of ironically does that we don't always associate this is it actually opens us more to other people. Hmm. So I can, and, and so in a sense, I, I, I look back and I almost wish I would have reversed my career. I started out with missional hermeneutics, church yeah. planning, and I almost wonder what would have happened if I would have learned these deep spiritual practices and then use that to engage because yeah. I've noticed the more I've done the deep work of spiritual formation, I think the more effective I am is representing Jesus with other people. So there is always going to be this mission. The gospel comes yep. to us on its way to someone else is one of my favorite sayings. Yeah. So um, the, the transformational process of this is it's about surrender. So like one of my favorite biblical texts that it, it which isn't about centering prayer, but it's a good metaphor. It's Jesus is called to discipleship where he says, um, if anyone would come after me, uh, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Right. And that's a metaphor that works really well for what it's like to sit in silence. Because, you know, if you're following Jesus, literally, if we were there, he's in front of us and, you yeah. know, and you're walking along a trail, you might certainly look at a bird or something. And so you're <laughs> kind of getting off the trail. And then what yeah. do you got to do? You got to recenter on Jesus to keep mm. following him, deny self take up the cross, follow me. And so that's essentially what the centering prayer practice is, because the reality mm -hmm. is a lot of the stuff that goes on inside our heads, number one, we can't control all of our thoughts, no matter yeah. how hard we try. Like we literally don't even know what we're going to think sometimes. And, <laughs> right. and you'll get, you know, sometimes beautiful thoughts, sometimes negative thoughts. We'll get a lot of negative chatter about ourselves that usually looks like guilt, fear, and shame. Yep. Those are things that separating us from God. And so part of the transformation is being confronted. This is the deep work. This would be the troubling thoughts that come up by, junk on your inside. Like I say in my book, um, like when I started doing centering prayer and this didn't happen the first week, but the longer I did it, like, I, and I used to sit out on my back patio, there's a little pond behind that. I'd be sitting mm -hmm. out there, um, in nature. And like, I noticed I'm supposed to be praying to Jesus and I would just have little thought loops in right. old clips of movies of, of people I was mad at. Mm. And I was just noticing all this anger coming up. And then you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be praying to Jesus. And <laughs> then, then I think I got to tap this down, but that isn't how you do it. You Lord take this. So I say my prayer word and in a sense that of pushing down all this anger, I was letting it out. And then, you know, the other thing I noticed is, and this was the more embarrassing thing, but it's in the book. So I'll say it on the podcast is I would sit out there. I'd have sexual thoughts. Yeah. And then I'm thinking like, wait a second, I'm supposed to be sitting in silence with God. And I'm thinking about sex right now. And yeah. then I'm like, Oh, I better hide that. Oh, wait a second. God already knows what's in my head. Yeah. I need that to release that. And then, and this is what one of the reasons I wrote the book, because I thought something was wrong with me. And then I realized I started studying um, silence and solitude. Yeah. And this is what anybody that's ever sat out like the desert fathers and mothers, they'd go out in the desert mm -hmm. thinking they left the world and they would just find, they called them demons on the inside. I, <laughs> part of my book, I, I go back to a, a monastic name, Evagrius uh, Ponticus. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the kind of first scholar monastics. And he called them the eight evil thoughts. Mm. 
mm-hmm. or eight distracting thoughts. And these became what we know as the seven deadly sins. Yeah. And so it's um for him it was eight. He had two two words for pride, but he, you know, he said when you go out into the silence, you're going to be confronted with gluttony, mm-hmm. um, lust, um, greed, yeah, anger, sadness, spiritual laziness, mm-hmm. and then he had vainglory and pride, which was external and internal pride. Mm-hmm. And you know, when and that's that's those eight things, you know, we all have probably par- some of those that bother right. us more than others. Um, you know, I, I would guess probably like anger and the the and lust are probably two of the most common things, but everybody struggles in some ways with all eight of those. And so doing centering prayer long term hmm. has kind of confronted me with and and all those and those those eight things are really those are those are idols. It's idolatry, right? right? So it's like God cleanses us yeah. of our false ideologies or even our false views of God and all that junk simply by bringing it to our attention and then in the in the silence we just we use the prayer word and just let it go mm-hmm. and uh, Thomas Keating called it divine therapy in a way so it's <laughs> uh and you can get at this also through journaling and stuff also this yep. isn't the only way but that's what's slowly broken things up wow. in me yeah. and what that's done, Joshua, is like, in, you know, like I always tell people, um, I, I actually feel less holy than I used to, hmm. but I feel closer to God. And I'm not confessing sin when I say that, but in a yeah. sense, it's like when you let yourself literally realize what God sees, you feel incredible amounts of God's love. And hmm. you'll, and you, and so you kind of get to this simultaneous experience. And um, hmm. like I said, you realize that you always will need God's grace. And that's yeah. where that Jesus prayer comes in. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow. But then you also get this beautiful picture. And this is another prayer I like to use. It's um, it's from a, a spiritual director named Macrina Viderkare. It's a newer, it's a, a 20th century prayer, but it's, oh God, help me believe the truth about myself, hmm. no matter how beautiful it is. Mm. <laughs> that's yeah, one of those. That's good. <laughs> like a trick prayer, but it's like yeah. both of those are simultaneously true because God mm-hmm. wants us to become the person that he created us to be with all that potential to be the hands, the feet, the mouthpieces of Jesus. And, you know, my yeah. tradition, we'd call that sanctif- the sanctified life. Right. While simultaneously, we we will know also that there's parts of us that always need God's grace, and God is always inviting us to yeah. surrender. So that's, it's a long answer, great. but that's what, how I would say silence slowly breaks us up the kind of the, the ground of our lives. Yeah. And then, then we allows God then to grow beautiful new, um, you know, plants or trees or flowers out of what looked like it could have been a mess. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's great. And it reminds me, you know, for me in my life, I've, I've probably put on many different masks uh, that I have this, this false self that I am trying to relate to the world uh, that is really not who I am on the inside. But a lot of times I lie to myself and say, no, that it is who I am. And this mask that I'm wearing is is Joshua. But as you know, if I center my life on, on Jesus, if we have centering prayer, if I truly surrender and make Jesus Lord, that's going to start to break away. And I'm going to realize, oh, I'm I am who God sees me to be and not who I try to 
portray to the world. How do we how do we break that up so that we could get to that place of actually self-knowledge of knowing who God really truly made us to be? Well, I think I think that, and this is, and I guess it'd be vi- viable for um, for all of us. Um, it's, and it's essentially deciding, you know, do I want to be that true person that God created me to be? And it takes courage, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, when we talked about those, like the seven deadly sins, that that fil- that that all filters under the Christian value of. Um, of self-control and moderation and temperance. I mean, if we go back to some of the other key virtues, um, courage is a Christian virtue, right? You have to have the courage to open yourself fully to the God who loves us and not just be like Adam and Eve hiding behind a a tree. And so when we do that, then you you put in what, you know, this is where the the spiritual practice of a rule of life comes in. It's like, you know, look in your life and say, okay, what's deforming me? What are my deforming habits that are leading me away from being my truest self? Um, um, And then secondly, then what are the forming practices that I want to put in? And like, everybody knows like, oh, you just read the Bible and stuff like that, but find a set of habits that work with your temperaments. And again, scripture is going to have a role in that and prayer, but you have to find something that works for your particular personality type. This is where I think that some of the personality tools can help us, but you don't want to use like your particular rule of life. Josh might not work for me. Mine might not work for you, but essentially you want to put together a series. um, You call it liturgy for your life, um, a rhythm for your life that starves the parts that you need to move out of and yeah. fuels the parts that you want to grow. And like, you know, for me, I, I do suggest everybody find some contemplative practice that works for them. For myself, I do journaling, a form of the prayer of Eximen every day. And I do the centering prayer every day, you know, in addition to the, you know, the more common means of grace that, you know, scripture, regular kinds right. of prayers, communion, and obviously, you want to be around a group of people also at least, you know, at least find one other person that wants to be on the same kind of journey with you because it's, yeah. it's, you know, nothing will deflate your bubble of, wow, look how great it is <laughs> than to have people that can actually lovingly speak truth mm. back into you also. Yeah. So what is the purpose of community in these practices that we're doing? Well, I think the, the purpose of community is to represent Jesus's body. Um, and, and again, you'll do, you can do centering prayer in a community, which I, which I do with my wife and I do it together every day, or you can do it by yourself. Um, yeah. But the purpose of community, it's just, it's going to come alongside of that because we don't exist in isolation though. Yeah. Again, si- uh, solitude by yourself is helpful. But again, God, unless you've literally been called to a monastic life, um, you know, we're called into the world to be Jesus's hands, feet and mouthpieces. So we have to have that community that we then go into the world as part of. We're not, you know, God doesn't typically send us as lone rangers into the world. Right. (laughs) Correct. You know, you mentioned earlier that you, you say maybe you wanted to, to flip uh, your your life and your ministry of actually grounding yourself in these practices and then looking at the world through a missional hermeneutic and church planting, 
So what does it look like for us to take these practices? How does it inform our mission? And how would it have changed if this was brought into your life before you started doing those things? Yeah. And, and I, 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 and only God only knows if I, if my marriage would have been intact, if I would have done that. So yeah. I, I don't know about that, but I know the one thing that would have been true is I would have had less ego involved in the earlier parts of my life for certain. And I wouldn't have um, felt like my missional work was proving my worth and my right. value it would have flowed out of a heart of, of pure love. Not that yeah. there wasn't love involved there, but I would have been freer <clears throat> to be the missional guy who was a person loved by God, period. And that my role was as a Bible professor, or maybe even as like a, you know, teaching spiritual formation, but my identity would have, I would have done that out of a true identity of, as a person loved by God. And then yeah. win or lose, that doesn't change. That would have been the biggest mm. difference is I would have had less ego involved in the whole thing. And I would have been, and this is my story because the way that, that, that my brain works, I, I tend to be like, I used to, like, I was some, used to think of mission as a thing and I could talk about it theologically, but mm -hmm. you know, we all know at the core um, mission is actually always about people. And I even yeah. knew that, but in a sense, sometimes, at least for me, it was easier to think in my brain about mission or even sharing my faith. And I think the contemplative practices have basically attached my head to my body in a wow. way that allows me to embody things. And that's what would have been different about me personally, just out of the way that out of, you know, just out of the way that I used to be, I used to be very much more in my head. And now I think I'm trying the rest of my life to be more in my body. Wow. You know, and I think that we, as the as the body of Christ, right, we're called yeah. to embody Jesus to the world. So, you know, what is the difference between being in your head and being in your body for you? Yeah, for me, it comes down to a um, just a phrase I, I've I, I I I like to use. Like, I think being in my head means that I spend a lot of time thinking about the past. And I spent a lot of time thinking about where I was going to be a year from now or five yeah. years from now or 10 years from now. And neither of those are wrong because we need to learn from the past. And obviously, it, you got to have some kind of movement towards something. Mm -hmm. But what it means for me to be in my body is that, you know, I literally every day now I've been doing this um, actually just for a couple of months. I got it crystallized down to this. It's like, OK, every morning I say to myself, I look in the mirror and just say, today is the first day of the rest of my life, trust, surrender, and walk the path. Hmm. And, and so the difference for me would be, and this is, this, is, this is actually a line out of the matrix that I've always liked, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Hmm. And I think for a long time, I didn't think I could walk until I knew. Yeah. Now, I'm not afraid to just walk. Um, and this is a good word even for the environment because it's yeah. like the world's so crazy right now. And, and you know, everybody that used to think they know stuff, nobody <laughs> really knows anything right. but, as though we ever did, right? Yeah. We're all trying to. And so that to me, that's a powerful word. And then like, so how do you walk the path? Mm -hmm. And and one of my mentors, um, Dr. Robert Tuttle, he's, I think he's 81 now. He's still alive. Yeah. He was one of my mentors at Asbury, great uh, professor. And he always says, <clears throat> This is what I would say, what it means to walk the path. It's some show up, pay attention, and always remember that God has way more invested in this than we do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's, that's what I would say. The difference is, is just showing up more in the moment and being present. And mm-hmm. one of the fruits of centering prayer is, I mean, that's what I've noticed. Yeah. Um, I'm present for my students in ways that I didn't used to be. And I was a good teacher in the yeah. past, but I'm way more present. I notice my, I'm mentoring so many more people. I've been, you know, I've been coaching pastors and even have a coaching practice. Now that doesn't exist if I didn't have my basically ego busted up through all the centering prayer. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's without a doubt is one of the, to me, unanticipated fruits of silence is I'm more available to people wow. <laughs> because I've spent time with God in silence. It seems like that's a lot of what Jesus did on earth. One is, you know, he didn't do anything unless the father was doing it. Right. And so he was really showing us who God is the father. And then he went out and had his silence and his time with God so that he can be invested and be with people. And so if centering prayer brings us to a place of presence, that we actually get to be present with ourselves and with others. Um, I, I mean, missionally, I think that's, that's transformative for mission itself, uh, because it's not really on our shoulders. It's, what we're called to do is to be present to the moment and to see what the father is already at work doing and then embody that. Um, And so what a beautiful thing for you to be more present uh, to people and available to people um, so that we could actually become more like Jesus. Um, I love that this thing, this actually helps us become more like him and not just reveal more of us. Yeah. And, and that, again, that's the key distinction there is we're becoming something through this. You will learn about yourself, yeah. but that's not the end. The end, the goal is to open ourselves up to more and more of, 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 of God's abundant love. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the Methodist side of things. So we have this wonderful doctrine of called, um, you know, we call it entire sanctification or perfect love. That's it's growing in love mm. as the, you know, the ultimate goal, love for God, love for neighbor and part of that comes out of we love our neighbor as ourselves. Right. And the centering prayer is ex- I, some level. I would say it's almost like I was the Grinch with a little heart. And over the last ten years, my heart's just gotten bigger. And and that's wow. and to me. And, and that's been. Um, I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I can't even say that. You know, even my kids have seen a difference and stuff. And that's the, that's mm. the ultimate blessing is when you <laughs> your kids. <laughs> kids can see things and I've, you know, and I've, I've remarried and I've been able to build a, a beautiful relationship and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that's cause my heart's gotten bigger. Yeah. It seems like a lot of times, you know, growing up where we're striving for something and we're trying to prove ourselves to be able to say, come and love us. And when we start to surrender, we're, we're already loved um, and so that we could actually just become something instead of strive to put on something so others will respect us or know us or love us or, or something. And so it actually opens ourselves up. Um, what does that look like for you as an open person, a present person to other people? Has it opened yourself up becoming more vulnerable to other people? And what has the result of that been? Yeah, that's been the most interesting thing. Um, I mean, you had a chance to look at a little bit of my book, and I've been fairly vulnerable on the podcast yeah. here so far. And 
And that was the scariest parts for me because it's like, oh my gosh, what did I just say? People aren't are going to judge me. What I've noticed, again, I'm sure some people will judge, and that that's okay. And uh, I've judged plenty of people in my life, so (laughs) (laughs) so I probably have some judgment coming my way. But you know what I've actually noticed, like I I thought I was going to lose my ministry when everything happened to me, and instead, um. Be, as soon as I be, got comfortable enough to really start talking about what's happened, I, I just found that people are really hungry for people that will talk about their struggles, that will not just use themselves as the positive example in their illustrations, but really um, be open about pain and how they actually dealt with it. And um, so I would say the more transparent I've been, and again, you have to put some boundaries up and oh, understand yeah. your context, but um I think the the more willing you are to be transparent, that models for other people that they can do that too. And I yeah. think that just ripples outward. Um, I heard a great quote. I was I actually was at a Centering Prayer Summit this weekend, and a person who had known Thomas Keating, um, mm-hmm. Thomas Keating died a few years ago. He said that Thomas Keating said that the goal of um, c- contemplative practices, he said that we're called to live ordinary lives with extraordinary love. And so mm. I, I would say it's some level being trying to be authentic and transparent yeah. as a way of sharing extraordinary love with the world and letting people see that what, um, you know, what God's grace can do in our lives. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's great. Um, I, I'd love to give people, if they want to enter into some centering prayer, um, as you've been practicing this, what are some tips and, and things that you see for other people so that they could enter into this? Yeah, I think I think the be- the, the the best tip is is to is to um, do not judge yourself on success or failure while doing the practice. So pick a, a time again, I would encourage people at some point to just go for 20 minutes. Yeah. You'll think it's going to last forever, but I mean, if you just want to do a test drive, I would say just do five minutes, you know, either take your cell phone or, you know, I use a Fitbit, just have on vibrate, set your timer and do the practice. And it's like going to the gym. You're not going to yeah. see immediate benefits and you may even struggle a little bit with the silence. But I think the tip is to stick with it and recognize that even if you find yourself completely distracted, all that actually means is you get to surrender your thoughts and go back to Jesus. You know, yeah. if you use the prayer word 20 times, well, wow, I got to go back to Jesus 20 times. If it's a hundred mm-hmm. times, I got to go back to Jesus a hundred times. And so I think that would be a, a, one key tip is don't judge yourself. <clears throat> and I, I think the second thing is again, just nuts and bolts, make sure you find a quiet place. Cause yeah. if you hear a bunch of noises, that makes it really hard. So try to be, find a quiet place where you're not going to be disturbed and then make sure you find something comfortable to sit on because, you know, like I got this nice chair and we have a recliner. I use that when I'm, when I'm downstairs. And so those are my two places. So make sure it's somewhere comfortable. Yeah. And, and I guess a third tip would be <clears throat> don't be shocked at the thoughts that will come up. And so just remember you're sitting yeah. with God and again, you may not have a bad thought the first couple of times you do it, but you'll, you'll have ordinary thoughts like, you know, did I set the timer or you'll think about what I needed to do next or um, 
you may have a beautiful thought. Like if you're a pastor, you may think, oh, I got a great idea for a sermon. Just remember, let those go too. So it's yeah. about trust, right? And then if something bad comes up, same thing. Um, don't react. And so there's a, let me give one last tip. Yep. And this, this, these are the four R's of centering prayer that go right back to the founders. They always said, um, resist no thought. So recognize again, we're not trying to block off our brains. That is not possible. We're yep. only talking about little nanoseconds or maybe seconds between thoughts. So don't resist a thought, but don't retain a thought. So when you find something that's really captivating, realize it, use the prayer word and release it. React to no thought is the third R. That's when something disturbing maybe comes up. Like I was saying about thinking about how angry I was, then you're kind of embarrassed. It's like, so don't react either. It's like, wow, no judgment. It's like, God already knows it's in your head. So, and then the fourth R is gently return Mm. to Jesus. So resist no thought, retain no thought, react to no thought, gently return. I mean, that, and those Mm. would be the tips that I would give. And if anybody, you know, wants you know, some more tips. They could search Centering Prayer Brian Russell on YouTube. I have some YouTube videos and there's tons of good Centering Prayer videos beyond just my stuff, but those would yeah. be some easy tips to get started. Great. Great. I have a couple questions here at the end. One, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Yeah. If when I, well, when I was 20, 21, I would, I would actually encourage myself to have a more explicit rule of life that would mm-hmm. include... Um, I'd been journaling my whole life, but I would put in more of a prayer of examine journaling practice Mm. for myself. And I would introduce my younger self to centering prayer without a doubt. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Anything you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Oh, wow. I've I've been reading so many good books lately. Now watching, I don't have any great recommendations other than I do suggest um, stand-up comedy if you find i think it's great for us to laugh and i I, that's one of the things i do enjoy like watching um, comedy yeah as far as um let me give an unexpected a books a choice what um this in the monastics read these books too i have found over the last few years and it's especially true under covid but i um I would recommend pastors, spiritual leaders, and lay people can read these too. Um, the works of the Stoics, Seneca and Epictetus. Seneca had mm-hmm. letters from a Stoic and Epictetus. And the, the, the Christian churches looked back on these and called them like almost Christians. They didn't know Jesus yeah. and they're not Christian, but they had um, ways of talking about how to live your life that will sound like they were almost Christians. And I found their reflections, especially on focusing on what we can control versus what we can't control and how to live in a crazy world that they're really helpful. So that might be unexpected uh, things. Now, as far as um, a Christian book, I'm just trying to remember, because I've read a couple of really good books recently. I really like, um, this is by Mark Scandrett. It's a newer book. It's called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, (laughs) Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. And I'd recommend this to anybody. Um, he, 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 he uses the Beatitudes and he actually connects the Beatitudes to the Enneagram, which is another kind of spiritual practice. And, and yeah. whether you like the Enneagram or not, it, I don't think it really matters, but th- his book is like a little mini self-coaching book. And I found it pretty helpful for spiritual um, formation. And Jason, I got so many books, but that would, that would be a couple that would come to head, but the the Stoics I always recommend, and that's kind of an unusual recommendation, but I, I I found them to be pretty helpful. And I, I think people of a mature spiritual level can appreciate them, especially Epictetus, if you're going to pick one of those persons. Yeah. 
Great. I love it. Thank you. The good recommendations. Um, where You're can welcome. people find your your book on Centering Prayer? Yeah, probably. The, well, they can find it any place where books are sold. It's really easy to find on Amazon. You can get a Kindle or you can get um, a, a paperback, just Centering Prayer and um, Russell and they'll pop right up for you. And if you'd like to find out some more about me, you can check out um, brianrussellphd.com. Um, I also have a podcast and all my books are on there and um, some other information about me if folks would like to find out a little bit more. Great. And what's your podcast called? It's called um, Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations. Excellent. Yeah. So check out that. Check out Brian's book on Centering Prayer and uh, yeah, go to the website so you can find out more. So Brian, well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I just love the conversations. It actually helps me ground myself, surrender to Jesus and what he has for me in my life. And uh, hopefully now start to enter into more of the practice of silence and solitude and centering prayer. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Joshua. And I, I, I love the work that you're doing. I love the, you know, the Appist, all, all the, the, and the, the five Q things that you're doing. And that's, that's right within my DNA too. So it's a real privilege to speak with you. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.